if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today on Horse Chats, I'm talking to Brendan Bergen again. Love having Brendan on. He's always got interesting conversations. And today we're going to talk about a case study that he's had. And it's a young horse who's reactive, has got a strongly developed run or a flight response when it's confused. And if you've got a horse that you think is a little bit along these lines or you've come across these horses, I urge you to just listen to this chat because I'm sure there'll be lots of aha moments and good takeaways from Brendan. Now, Brendan, how are you today? You're not too bad. It's 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 already here. It's you know it's six a.m. Um, uh, so I'm just sort of starting my day, whereas I'd say you're sort of starting to wind down a bit. Yeah. Now, Brendan, is it still dark there? Because I'm over here and it's the afternoon, and it's been you know a bit of a warm day. We're technically in autumn or fall now, but it's we cool down. You know, I think the best time to ride here is sort of first thing in the morning. But um, it's six o'clock there. Is it dark? Not dark. What yeah. time do you start riding? It, it's dark, and and sort of the time I ride is is uh, is a little bit variable. But um, usually I'll, I'll be sitting onto my first horse around seven um, ish because it'll be a bit later today by the time I'm done talking to you. But um, I like getting on them early um, when my head is fresh because especially if I've got to get onto something that's a little bit tricky or something that sort of challenges my brain, I'm much better off dealing with it first thing in the morning before the the day load has, you know, weighed down on my head. Um, but uh, we've, got a, we've got a few little projects going on at the moment. We've got, um, we're planting 3,000 uh, hedging trees. So um, I've got to get the writing done first. Otherwise, by the time I get later on in the day, I kind of, I won't want to do it. By the time my back <laughs> is sore and tired from doing that. So, um so, Brendan, the 3,000 hedging trees, you know, giving us a little bit of perspective. In the UK and Ireland, there's a lot of hedge fences. Certainly not like that here, but 3,000 trees, what sort of distance does that go over? Okay, so that's about roughly 600 metres of trees, which probably wouldn't even, like, do one side of <laughs> an Australian 10, 15-acre paddock, which is, you know, same as our maybe one or two-acre paddock. Um but the whole concept of this is to tr- try and promote biodiversity in in the farm, and and basically we're in a sort of a sort of four or five year project where we're getting tre- um, hedging trees every year, and the plan is that by the time we're finished that project, the fences will still be there, but you won't be able to see them. That's the whole idea, so that horses get there and have natural shelter. It promotes wildlife. Because I think we can get very insulated in in the horse world and don't think of ourselves as farms. But um, I try really hard to think of myself as a farm and try to encourage biodiversity on the farm and not just think big equine monoculture uh, industry. Yes, yes. And have it so that it complements the equine, not just as a separate thing. And then you ought, we're also massively offsetting our, you know, our carbon footprint. You know, one of the biggest issues in, in climate change is that there, there's not enough trees. So I'm hoping that I have the space. So I'm hoping that we can, you know, just start offsetting that a bit by, um, you know, planting some trees. And that's the plan. Brilliant. 
brilliant. I think you start off with a long-term plan and what is it? You know, you start to, uh, what the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. So uh, a journey of however many thousand uh, hedges and trees and everything else starts with the first seedling or the seed or, you know, what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Brendan, we're talking about a case study and now a young horse who is reactive and has a strongly developed run or a flight response when it's confused. Does this horse have a name? Is it a real case study or a group together of a few case studies? Or is it this is the real this is the real horse? He's a, okay. a I won't give you his name because I don't want to embarrass the owner. Okay, um, but he's a he's a he's a little Connemara pony, and he's her little uh, sort of project, a uh, little lockdown project. And he's I suppose he's he's a straight shooter in many ways. So like you get on him, you ride him around, and. You know, he's 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 sensitive to things like he doesn't like the rider to move around. And there's a couple of things that he does. So, like, he doesn't like it if your arm moves out to the side. So we've done a bit of work to try and desensitize that. And But when uh, when things get sort of, to get a bit anthropomorphic, when things get overwhelming or when the challenge starts to increase, uh, his reaction is to run. And. And it doesn't matter what the pace is, you know, whether it's trot or canter, he will run. And I use the term run because it's, it's I suppose, what Andrew would call fast legs. So he just does fast legs, whether it's trot or canter, and sort of sticks his head in the air and, and just, it's, you wouldn't go as far as calling it bolting, but it's it's a canter or trot that's not stopping. And he's just going, oh, what's going on? I don't get it. Um, and there's, you know, there's a few key features with it with him as well in that he, he does high head, which we're all familiar with as an alert posture. And he also um, moves his shoulders against the direction of travel. And I'll get on to that later, why why he has that movement pattern. Because what's really interesting when you have horses that, you know, run or won't move forward or anything else is that usually there's some kind of a straightness issue um, that causes this. Um, asymmetrical movement pattern and obviously one of our big things as riders and trainers and coaches is to try and have the horse move cam forward and straight but horses just like us are asymmetric so like for example um i i i like to stand on my left leg and kick a ball with my right i like to write with my right hand not my left so i have an asymmetry to my gait even though it might be quite minor um, I'm not lame or anything, but there's an asymmetry, and I'm sure you'll have an asymmetry to your gait. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then when I step onto a horse, the 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 same pattern is there. So um, I keep I have weight on my left leg, so I want to lean into my left stirrup and be light on my right stirrup, and I want to pull ironically on my left rein and give way on my right because my left hand is that bit more fixed. So it's just. Horses have that same thing going on that we've and we've got to try and um, counteract that without letting it ruin our lives. So I suppose that's the first thing is you've got to recognise. I mean, we know that the horse will have these potential movement patterns, but it's recognising them first, isn't it? Is that the first thing we've got to look at? Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing as well to remember with horses is, you know, you start off with a horse and like say we're going to call this one Billy. Um, it's not his name, but we'll. They'll stick with Billy. And you'll have it that they swap sides a lot. And I suppose I say this to people a lot when I'm helping people with young horses and whatever is if your horse is stiff on the right rein and we're doing a really good job, 
he'll become stiff on the left rein eventually because we'll have drilled that down through that problem so deeply that we'll have, you know, gotten, gotten to the solutions. Do you find that that happens? You know, say the horse comes to you and stiff right above the bit stiff right, you start to work on getting them a little bit rounder and softer and then all of a sudden it's stiff left. You know, like changing from above the bit to rounder but the right and the left might change. Oh, definitely. It happens a lot. Like my my horse, for example, uh, by my my own inadequacies, is naturally very stiff to the left. Now, she's not actually stiff to the left. What she is is inactive in the right hind. Okay? So um, I've worked a lot using different methods, which we can talk about another day, but if I, if I get started on those, so it'll be knackered to be here for the next three days. Um, I've worked a lot to activate the right hind. And by activating the right hind, she got softer on the left. And then what happened was that she then nearly started to become inactive in the left hind, which made her stiffer on the right. So then you have to try and temper your work in strengthening the right hind so that it doesn't disrupt the natural flow pattern from the left hind. I, I, like The movement patterns I find just fascinating and the way they change and develop and it's the same with us as humans like if you start brushing your teeth with your left hand and you're right-handed first of all you start on get the toothpaste all over your face and second of all you'll find that you are much more able to manage everything with your left hand you know um, you ride better you know you'll so like one of my little sort of personal projects is that I do as much as I can with my left hand because I'm really right-handed. So I brush my teeth with my left hand. I try and unlock the door with my left hand. And even though I've been doing it for six months, it's still got to think about how that key turns. I usually cock my left hip if I'm standing, standing around. So I try and cock my right hip now. And all those sort of leveling things that I'm trying to do all the time, I try and stand on my right leg and hop on my right leg to try and encourage it to bear more weight you know like it's so interesting if you you start to bring things into your lives you can change yourself and then it can help change the horse yep 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 now if we want to get to and i don't know if this is a pun on words get to the seat of the problem are we talking about the rider's seat how are we going to get to the seat of the problem oh i suppose when i talk about the seat of the problem it's, it's about figuring out what's going on so um i suppose if it is the rider that's causing the problem then it could be the seat of the problem couldn't it yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the interesting thing is that um, uh, everyone thinks that the, the that horses maybe want to carry us in the middle. Uh, in my experience, that's not the case. Um, horses like, um, I think, to shift the rider onto whatever side of them they like to carry you on. So, um, you know, the rider's seat can be um, indicative of, of the problems going on. When I'm talking about getting the seat to the seat of the problem with this particular horse, with Billy, um, his issue is that his right hind is inactive that's the first part and that he um rotates through his shoulder girdle um, and what i mean by that is um if if any of you are familiar with equine anatomy they've no collarbone so it means that if you think of their um their two front legs um their rib cage and uh, is hanging in a hammock between those and that allows massive flexibility, and that's how a horse can grow from being, you know, 
15 hands to you know 17 hands when they're really their adrenaline level shoots up because they can lift their whole withers and everything through those um through those two uh, front legs but equally it means that they can twist their and rotate their whole body and that's where when you think of particularly i think of cobs and i think of this the motor biking around the corner is from a rotation through that spot um, so usually their their um, shoulders, sorry, their withers and barrel will rotate between their front legs. Their head will go to the outside and then the running begins. So with Billy, that's what happens. When he gets worried, stressed, flight response activates, he rotates through his barrel. Um, it happens much more in the right rein, naturally, because he's weak on the right hind leg. And he then brings his head to the outside and it allows him to push all the weight onto that left hind which is the one he wants to push with and then until you can break that cycle uh, he keeps on running and just running in a straight line are you able to turn him put him on a circle or just running and yes you can put him on the circle but you got to use so much pressure that maybe well then it um, becomes a non-useful solution because you know put him on a circle you know if you're in a 20 acre field i think is actually quite a good solution Whereas if you're in an enclosed arena, there's a fence that they're unlikely to jump. Um, I sometimes think it's better to let them go large and try and organize the solution so that it becomes a solution and not an emergency stop solution. So I see it a lot with novice riders that, you know, they haven't developed a proportionality. Um, so like take Joey, for example, that part of the solution is to, to be, to be soft, but very strong and to try and get him to shift his shoulders straight and then, uh, move on to his right hind. And then the circle becomes truly helpful in training rather than as a survival mechanism. Okay. So I suppose it's, organizing the priorities for solutions so what's the priority here when thinking about the organizing priorities for solutions okay so the first priority is to not kill the rider yes so yes of course if it, if it gets to the level like the great thing about billy is billy just runs billy does buck he doesn't rear he doesn't suddenly spin he just runs and when you're watching it, if you didn't know what was going on, you'd go, oh, he's just cantering or he's just trotting. It, you know, it, it's fast legs, but it doesn't look out of control. It is, but it's, it's, it's a very consistent run. So um, th- that's, a, that's a great place to be. Whereas, you know, some other horses, you have the running and then erratic turning patterns. And in that case, putting them onto a circle or whatever is very helpful um, because it keeps the rider alive. So with, with Billy, the, the big thing is that the priority is to get him to straighten the shoulder and to um, put his neck the right way. So if you think of him, he's going around with his head stuck to the fence, which means that his shoulder is bolted to the inside, which means that all the power is coming off the, the uh, left hand, not the right. So what you've got, we have to do is you've got to, Shift his barrel to the outside um, to allow his shoulder to stretch, his left shoulder to stretch, and then his neck will start looking the right way. When we do that, he starts to um, slow down. So that's my priority is to 
get him bent like a banana the right way, not the wrong way. And I'm quoted as saying things to people like, when you're on the right rein, you're on the right rein. Your horse should only look right in the right rein unless you're choosing he should look right. Or when you're on the left rein, you're on the left rein. So your horse should look left on the left. And people look at me and go, oh, I can't keep him out. And I say, I don't care. When he's on the right rein, he has to look right. And this is one of Billy's things is Billy has to learn to always look in the direction of travel. And sometimes that has to be, um, I hesitate to use the word aggressive process, but it certainly will be a very uncomfortable process for him to try and get him looking the right way. But that is that is essentially one of the seats of the problem. And it's it's the priorities of the solution is to get them him bending the correct way. So the correct way on each rein. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The softness. Tell me about the power of softness. Ideally, that's what we want. Yeah. I read a book uh, long, long ago, but it's one of those, you know, you've got some books that you just come back to and you sort of, you don't know why you come back to them all the time, but you know, you just, you know, go, I need to read that again, or I need to, you know, dip into this chapter. So it's a book by a guy called Mark Rashid, um, really interesting guy. And his books are very conversational and they're, they're mostly story-based. He's a master of a martial art called Aikido. And Aikido is all about blending with um, the attack and redirecting the energy. So I got really interested in Aikido. And until lockdown, I was practicing Aikido, not terribly well, but to try and learn how to ride better. So he talks about the power of softness. And he, he's done a, he, do, he does a few videos online where he explains things. So he has... Um, he does one where he holds out his arm straight and asks someone to straighten his arm. And when he tries to hold his arm straight, um, the person can bend it. Whereas if he, sa- he says that if, if you imagine water running through your arm, the person can't bend his arm because it's a different sort of energy. So when I talk, think about um, horses that won't bend, for example, or someone says, oh, he's very stiff on the left or whatever. What you'll see when they go to try and bend them mechanically using the rein, they get to a point where they already give up on getting the bend. So if you think of your hands as an old typewriter, your forearms and hands, and if you put your, say, elbow on your hip, and you slide your hand all the way up to your hip like you would a manual typewriter, and out the back, each side. If you think of that as when you're trying to get a horse to bend who, who's stiff, you think of it as your arm pulling through, through your hip and all the way out the back. It changes the whole dynamic and it actually, rem- I find, removes the pulling match. Because instead of pulling against the horse, you're moving your arm and pulling it through. Does that make sense? Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, 
scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Yes, you know, a bit of visualisation there, but just go through that again, Brendan, just for anyone, you know, that hasn't quite got it, that's thinking, what, what do you mean? Okay, so the, the the big goal of this is to not allow you to have the mental resistance. So say, for example, I'll use the same example. I'll just talk it through slightly differently. So I want my horse to bend to the left. And my horse, because I'm stiff to the left, is also stiff to the left. So when I pull the rein, there's a certain mental point deep-seated down in your head where I pull, say, say I pull to halfway my arm towards my hip. That's the point where the resistance lies. Okay, so the temptation is to stop there and wiggle them there. But I don't do that. What I do is I go, I pull my arm all the way through and I keep pulling it all the way through until my hand is nearly at my hip. By then, my horse should nearly be folded in half looking to the left and then you get back. And then you do that again until you find that you come to, you come through your resistance point and come to the bend point. So it's just one of those things that I've discovered relatively recently and went, hang on, that's actually, that's quite a good thing. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, thinking, and that's a particularly useful um, visualisation for lots of horses, you know, lots of horses that have got a bit stiff and um, people are thinking, how can I make this a little easier for the horse, make it a little easier for me? What can I do to stop this constant battle because the horse is stiff to the right or stiff to the left? I should actually take a step backwards for one second. Yeah. As you slide back with your left hand, you obviously have to allow your right as you slide back with your left hand, you obviously have to allow your right hand to slide forward. Otherwise, all you end up doing is creating two brick walls on either side. And the horse has to feel the, that there's a release. And the release is that as they come round, they then get the, get, get the release. Anyway, sorry. I just It makes sense to me. But I think, you know, if someone's trying to work out how to do this, I think just putting that extra bit in makes a difference. Now, if we talk about moving sideways... You're talking about lateral work. You're talking about the horse drifting sideways, resisting. La- yeah, lateral work is what I'm talking about. So, um, some of some of the great, like one of the one of the people who we're going to look back in in twenty, thirty years and go, um, this guy was talking a lot of sense. Is Carl Hester? He's destined to be one of the new masters of dressage. Once people kind of figure it out, like he's just. Lots of his ideas are just make so much logical sense. It's like when you watch videos or read Nuno Oliveira's books, lots of what he says makes sense. But at the time, Nuno wasn't appreciated and people didn't realize what he was actually doing. So anyway, so one of Carl Hester's things is that Moving sideways solves a lot of problems. And the other person who says this a lot is... Um, Christoph Hess, he talks about leg yield all the time. And again, I've, I've, I've become a little bit of a, an obsessive in listening to his chats. So I've listened to each of his chats three or four times now at this stage because there's just so many onion layers in there. Anyway, so go and listen to Christoph's chats, guys. If you want to understand moving sideways, go listen to Christoph. He's the man. But anyway, so what Christoph talks about, and 
is he talks about when you're doing a downwards transition and Carl Hester says the same thing. You should always think leg yield into a downwards transition. And the reason why that is, I think, and Christoph might be able to explain it better than me, but anyway, I'll do the best I can here, is that it keeps the horse around the inside leg and it keeps the outside ribs open as the inside ribs close. And you think of the nature of a horse, you watch them running in a field, a horse will nearly never bend in the direction of travel if they're cantering around the field. They'll usually swing their head to the outside. So that's, that's their nature. When we ride them, we put a big ta leaning tower of Pisa on them. If they bring their head to the outside, it makes them more unbalanced. So we have to train them to bend to the inside. So if you think of every corner is an opportunity to leg yield a couple of steps out. Every turn is an opportunity to leg yield around the turn. And excuse me, the more we do of that, the more they close their inner ribs and open their outer ribs and the more free the inside hind leg is and the closer the inside hind leg is to pushing up underneath them. So with Billy, this is a big thing. If we can, once we can get him to leg yield to the corners and leg yield into transitions, his problem will be entirely solved. The issue is the run pattern is so established that you can kick all you like with your inside leg until his head moves to the inside and his shoulders straighten up. He just can't produce it. And that's where there's a certain amount of me me mechanical manipulation we have to do with horses to try and create the circumstance for them to make the right decision. So most, with lots of horses, they get, and I use quotation marks here, dead to the leg. They get dead to the leg because the circumstances aren't created for doing the job. So with, with Billy, the first thing is to get him to look in the direction of travel. So if he's on the right rein, he should be looking to the right. And then you can push with the inside leg to leg yield him out. And that starts to establish a new movement pattern. And you'll find that when you're doing this with horses for the first time and they're established in their, their what I'll call a faulty movement pattern, it takes a long time to reprogram it because you're not dealing with mental uh, memory or process. You're dealing with muscle memory and muscle memory is such a slow thing to fix. So um, in another chat, I'll talk to you about the, the rider's reset button. We might do that next. Next chat, we'll do the rider's reset button. I'll explain that to you. Um, and we'll talk about muscle memory and how it works in people and horses. So that's what I mean by moving sideways. Sorry, that was a bit long-winded. But I get very excited when I start feeling like I'm quoting people like Christoph Hess or, <laughs> Hester or Andrew or Jana or any of these yeah, people. Yeah, who I, yeah. I just look up to and I go, oh, if I could be even 10% of what you guys are, I'd be so pleased. But going in the direction and understanding the language and understanding just some of the really basic stuff. Isn't it great when you have a breakthrough? Ah, mm -hmm. oh, right. That's what that means. The hardest thing about making a breakthrough, though, Glennis, is, you know, um, people, you'll be told the same thing by a coach for years and years and years and years, and then someone else will say it differently, and you go, oh, my God, if I'd only had the intelligence or understanding to have realized what I was told 15 years ago, my whole writing life would have been so much easier but I was too close-minded or whatever. And then, anyway. I get a bit more optimistic. I think, oh, now I understand. Now things will get better. Yeah. Okay.
Okay. Yeah. Now, we talk about Billy, you know, Billy, the case study who's reactive, strongly developed run or flight response when he's confused. What about going beyond these problems for long-term solutions? You know, you've talked about the horse looking in the direction of travel and using the inside leg to push him out, but the long-term solutions, you know, what can we do there going beyond these current problems? I'll just digress slightly for a second. I was on a webinar, to answer that, I was on a webinar um, last night with a guy called Ernest Dillon, who's a, an FBHS. I'm doing tons of webinars at the moment because for once I have time to do them. And uh, Ernest quoted a, a, a Swedish trainer, I can't remember his name, and he said, uh, Ernest, correct is correct because it works. And you know when you've got a good system, when every bit of Lego links in with every other bit of Lego. So one of the problems that happens, I think, with us as riders, and certainly with trading horses, is we decide that, so I know that my horse is heavy on the left hand. And I know I carry my weight more on my left ear. But this knowledge has ruined my equestrian life completely. Because I go to my trainer and I go, you know, am I in my right steer? But she's like, just shut up about that. Just ride the horse. And you've got to ride forward from that. Because otherwise, my whole life will be stuck on me trying to have more weight in my right steer. And that's not what it's all about. What it's about is, say, Billy, for example, once we get him bending in the direction of travel and the right hind in particular becomes activated, then you have to start developing that forward. And that's where you pause my chat and you go over to Christoph's chat and you listen to Christoph talking about developing from the leg yield to the shoulder in to the traver to the half pass and even if you're not doing shoulder in and traver and half pass just listen to the way he talks about positioning the horse and when you listen to Christoph talk about positioning the horse he just has such clarity and then you know You'll ask him a question, and it takes him very slightly off track for a moment, but he comes straight back to the positioning of the horse. And I think when you're thinking long-term solutions, you have to think about the way the horse should be correctly positioned on the right rein. So if you look into the old German texts, they will say that the horse should go around the arena very slightly in shoulder four at all times. That is your long-term solution to horses that bend in the incorrect way. And that's what I mean when I say on the right rein, the horse should look to the right. It's that shoulder four positioning that isn't talked about anymore because it's not fashionable to talk about horses being in shoulder four the whole time. But if we think of that positioning and develop that into a process, then as the horse moves up the level, you can let them be straight. So that's what I suppose what I mean by developing your long-term solutions. It's, it comes down to correct riding and correct positioning and understanding the theoretical background to what you're trying to do rather than doing the riding school keeping them on the track the track is the most damaging thing in the whole arena the most useful solution is the circle the bend riding in a big massive australian 20 acre field where there isn't a fence for miles (laughs) I know we, you know, watching horses just go around the dressage arena and, you know, with novice begin riders and the horses going around with a big smile on their face and the shoulders are there and the outside, the outside fore and the outside hind 
are parallel. The shoulder and the hindquarters parallel, but the barrel and the, of the horse is so much bigger, so the hindquarters end up travelling in, like on a different track to the front legs. Do you think that only happens at novice level? Then? <laughs> no, I just see it more often at novice level. And I feel that I can't, there's other things to correct first, right? Correct. Even just True something, enough, yeah. even just something like saying, ride your horse on the inside track, gets the horses straighter. The other thing, cool, quite a good exercise that you can use is, um, you know, I've talked about football cones and other chaps and things like that. Um, and what, when we're positioning football cones, a lot of the time what you, what you might be tempted to do is to just put one on the inside and they go around it. Whereas if you put one on the outside, uh, you encourage the rider then to ride both sides of the horse, not one side of the horse. And what you can do is if you move them in so that your football cone is sitting in the middle of the track, it wrecks the rider's head, but it also trains them how to ride the outside the horse around the arena. Anyway, it's just a, one of those little things that you can... You have lots of them. I mean, just using the pods, the football cones, instead of the normal witches' hats, which are much higher and much easier for the riders, whereas the pods, I think, they're... Well, they're easier for the horse because, see, see, the pods, the horses, I think, don't sort of see, no. whereas the witches' hats, the horses do see, and, you know, they don't want to crash into things because, you know, I'm a flight animal, and if I break a leg, I'm dead. Yes, yes, yes. Now, going on and success, how are we going to evaluate our success? How are we going to know that we're on the right track with Billy or with any horse? Yeah, evaluating success is the boring repetition of, of the, the four systems that I use. So um, you have William Micklem's constants and variables. So your constants are acceptance, which is obviously uh, one of Billy's problems. Calmness is another one of his problems. And forwardness is another one of his problems. So he's already got three of the constants aren't there because if he's running away, he's not going forward. Then straightness is obviously an issue because he's uh, he's not got his forehand in front of his hindquarters. And the only thing that in the constants that Billy has all the time is purity. His, his gait pattern is actually correct. It's just pushing not quite equally. Then you've got your variables, so evaluating direction. He doesn't like you to let you control direction. Speed, he doesn't like you to let you control speed. Impulsion, he doesn't have the power from behind. And balance, he doesn't have a correct balance that allows him to push straight. And um, the timing of the rider's aids has to be spot on. Sounds like I'm totally running him down that he's only got one or two of those, but it's common in lots of horses that they have those missing. Then you have to also evaluate that against your test framework which is the german scale of training rhythm supplements contact impulsion straightness and collection and then in the learning of say for example billy for leg yield or bending correctly or moving the inside hind leg or whatever and um, you have to think of the shaping scale where is he at basic attempt obedience rhythm straightness contact or proof so i suppose if you have that framework in place and you think often about that framework and where you're at on it, you can start stitching up the holes and pulling them together. The one thing to remember, though, is as you stitch up a hole, the hole might become secure, but the holes created by the stitching sometimes create an instability. And you've got to think of that as you carry the training forward. And that's where you go to developing those long-term solutions. So when you correct the bend to the correct direction, 
oftentimes you'll lose it going the other direction or you'll lose the outside shoulder or something like that. And that's what I mean by as you stitch up your holes, sometimes it creates other problems as you go along. You give a lot of visuals. You, you talk a lot with imagery. It's where the way my brain works. My, my brain doesn't work so much at words as it works at pictures. That's why when you contacted me about doing these chats, I went, it'll be actually really good a, a way of testing it, testing the way I put myself across to make sure that I'm saying what I mean. And I listen back to the chats and I go, sometimes go, oh, it's not quite what I meant, but, you know, it's close enough. <laughs> now, we can complain about this horse is wrong and that horse is wrong and Billy does this and he shouldn't do that. Is this about owning your responsibilities? But now I've got this horse, I'm responsible for the ongoing training of this horse. Are we talking yeah, 100%. about? Yeah, yeah. 100%. So like, again, this is anyone who's listened to a few of my chats will be like, oh, here we go again. Um, rider responsibilities. There's only four things we have to do. First is to look and plan. Or when I talk to the kids, I say, you got to point your big fat head where you want to go. Second, ride the speed for the job. Direction, make sure the horse is pointed completely where they're going. When I say pointed, I'm talking the whole body, not just the head. And then finally is balance. And balance um, is the rider's balance. So for example, um, and again, when I talk about the, the rider reset, which is going to be our next chat, by the way, is the rider has to sit behind the neck strap and the rider has to offer the right balance to allow the horse to supply the right solution. So if you own those responsibilities and if you can thoroughly be in control of those things, then it totally changes the game for the horse. The, all the older masters and you know people who talk a lot of sense say that the horse should be calm, forward and straight. I guarantee if you can get those four rider responsibilities lined up in the right way, the horse will go be calm, they will go forward, and they will be straight. Mm-hmm. What about letting go? Well, that comes, that comes straight back to um, Andrew, uh, Andrew and Manu talking about self-carriage. And I've just recently um, watched uh, Manu did, um, they have a sort of an a ESI series. They, they do something new every, every week or whatever. And she was talking recently about self-carriage. And it got me thinking that it's something that we've got to really be able to do really well. So once we get Billy sorted out and get him moving the right way, what the rider should be able to do is be able to fully release the rein and he should be able to maintain the correct posture. And when I say posture, I mean that he's bending around the inside leg to coin the question terminology that I tend to like to use. And he should be able to hold that himself without the rider having to hold the wheels on the wagon. So I suppose that's what I mean by letting go. And that's how you know that you've, you've moved to the proof stage, that you're in proper self-carriage, that you can do each thing while releasing the rein. So if you look back to, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Kyra Kirkland. And you look back to Kyra doing um, some of her piafs. And she, one of the things she used to do a lot was she used to swap the reins into one hand and push the reins forward and the horse would hold perfectly in the piaf in self-carriage. You don't see that anymore. It doesn't happen anymore. People don't do that. 
Do you think uh, it's just because it's not required as a level or you think that the horse isn't physically capable and mentally capable of just holding that? I don't think a lot of top-level riders could do it because I think, like, take the Piaf and the Passage is often a kick-and-pull manoeuvre and the release, the releases that Kyra did, the horses create gave much, much more elevation. Uh, you know, she as she would release, the horse would roll back onto the hocks more. Like anyone, anyone who has any interest in dress, I should go and watch the videos of Kyra doing it. They're just it's amazing to watch the way they roll back onto their hocks more. So anyway, so that's that's the letting go. Talk about pushing the boundaries as well. You know, we've got the letting go, but pushing the boundaries, what can we do there? Once you've achieved a certain thing, you've got to move on to the next the next job and move forward with it. And I suppose if you take Billy, for example, we're at a very developmental stage with him and it's, it's about getting him moving the right way. Once he's moving the right way um, and we've got him sort of sorted out in the body, I, I would be following Christoph's plan. He'd be learning some shoulder in. Uh, if I if the rider is able to do it, um, he'd be starting to do some things like counter counter to try and have it so that we can move his shoulders around a bit more and counter counter say on the right rein but with a right bend and things like that because pushing those boundaries will really help him to activate the uh, the hind leg in a different way. But it remains to be seen whether. First of all, his brain will be able to cope with this. And second of all, whether those two exercises would actually be helpful or not. And when we say a young horse as well, Brendan, what age is uh, Billy? Billy's four rising five. Okay. Okay. So plenty of time to continue with training and just follow the basic rules that even though you've you've said them different, you say them different every time. You know, there's a lot of basics that keep coming back there that obviously are important because otherwise you wouldn't keep saying them, you know. So I think listeners keep going back and keep listening to the theme right through this. And uh, I don't know. I kind of sometimes feel like maybe I'm just going around banging no, the same drum again and no, again, bored no. the heads off you all. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all, Brendan, no, no. I think this has been a really interesting one, you know, having that case study to say, right, this is what the problem is. This is how we're going to fix it. I'm also looking forward to um, the rider's reset, the rider's reset button and hearing some more about that. So uh, looking forward to catching up with you again soon, Brendan. I, um, I enjoy your chats and, um, you know, I learn more and I'm sure our listeners learn more as well. Thanks very much, Dennis. People would like to contact you. You know, maybe they've got a pony like Billy. Maybe they've got a different sort of pony and they think, I'd really like to get to talk to Brendan about this or I'd really like to take it to Brendan. Best way to, to contact us is to log on to our website because all our contact details are there. It's bergenequine.com. Or if you just go to the Horse Chats page, um, my, my website is there and you can just click on click a link. You can also see all the other genius people and you can go and have a look at uh, Christoph Hess and all those sort of people who have so much to offer and you know stitch it all together. Don't think just because he's talking higher level, it's not applicable to lower level. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think too, if you do go to Horse Chats, there's a search bar there and um, just go for a search. And I think even if you search for dressage or search for, you know, particular words that we've talked about, that'll come up in the search bar as well. Brendan, thanks for chatting today and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. 
You're so welcome. Bye for now, Glennis. Bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 